at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Happy post-draft week. Yeah, sure. Syracuse was shut out of the draft for the second time in three years. Um, this coming on the heels of, what was it, like 35 straight years or something where we had a draft pick? Yeah, and a couple like big years in the uh, the late Marone years where we, were, we had, what, two or three years in a row with first-round picks? Yeah, so. simpler times. Yeah, and, and uh, I think a pretty big surprise. Um, obviously, last week, uh, I said I was pretty sure Ambedetau would go. Uh, he did not, even though it was a draft that uh, pushed wide receivers to the front pretty quick. So, um, But, yeah, uh, it's... Uh, Hopefully he can latch on in Jacksonville and and work out because obviously we're all we'll all be rooting for him after the awesome year he had for us. I completely agree. I think a lot of I mean I, I was pretty convinced, especially going into the sixth round, there were only about four wide receivers, not even four. I think there were three wide receivers maybe in front of him on like the big board, um, and figured you know a guy like him, record setting, obviously a little raw, but had a ton of potential. Um, seemed like a shoe in to go. Uh, that didn't happen. Um, but nonetheless, I think him catching on with Jacksonville might end up being for the best. Um, I know guys talk about this all the time of like, once you get into the seventh round, you're kind of praying you don't get drafted because then you end up being able to pick the best spot for you. Um, you potentially have uh, more financial upside that way. Um, and obviously for, uh, for Amba, he, he gets the, the safety net of being able to walk into a very Syracuse centric and Syracuse friendly situation. Uh, with Doug Marone and Tom Coughlin, while neither of them recruited him or coached him in any way before this, um, I'm sure that he'll get a, a pretty good shake um, down in Jacksonville, maybe better potentially uh, than some other undrafted prospect would have gotten. Um, so I, I, I very much expect to see him um, on Sundays now that he's down in with the Jaguars. Uh, I know Brizzly Esteem ended up with the Jets. I think that's another good fit for him. Um, I don't have the special teams numbers in front of me, but I would assume the Jets have been very bad on special teams. Yeah, I mean, with both those teams, you have very unsettled situations. The Jets have, have some receiver talent, but it's not like, you know, an overwhelming group. Uh, the Jets needed people all over the place, and obviously we talked last week about how Grizzly, if he could uh, carve out a niche as a special teams, uh, like a really good special teams player, there's always a chance that he'll, he'll latch on there. Um and, and with the Jaguars, I think Wayne Morgan uh, got a, a shot with them, too, uh, I believe. Did uh, I see that? Yes, he ended up getting invited to their rookie mini camp. So a little less of a guarantee than, than, what, than what Amba has. Amba has the chance to work himself pretty quickly into the like main roster, while uh, Wayne Morgan will have to go through the rookie mini camp, and then after that he'll then get invited to camp. Yeah. So, I mean, like we said, you, you, you could always uh, trust the Doug Marones and Tom Coughlin's, and now that they're together, um, that group to, to at least give Syracuse people a shot. Um, even, you know, it doesn't guarantee anything. 
it doesn't mean they're going to make the roster for sure or that they're going to get any significant playing time. But um, if you're a Syracuse player who is sniffing the NFL, uh, you have a very, very friendly franchise in Jacksonville now um, where you can at least, you know, possibly get your foot in the door. So good for those guys. Hopefully it works out. Uh, I think we'll all be following uh, Amba, especially since he'll probably be one of those guys who has a chance to really impress in uh, camp and then the preseason. Um, we've seen receivers, you know, in recent years throughout the NFL really have huge preseasons end up becoming like solid players. So uh, that'd be a pretty cool thing. Unfortunately, he has to deal with Blake Bortles throwing him the ball, which is a whole <laughs> other adventure. Yes. Uh, Doug Marone is the most loyal idiot. And we, uh, we thank him for his service to, to his alma mater long after he's gone. Um, who's Hard Knocks this year? Or not? Tampa Bay, which should be interesting. Tampa Bay. Have the Jags ever yeah. done it? I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, it's actually kind of surprising if they haven't. But I, I would assume interest is minimal. Is that a very interesting team? <laughs> and, like, and, you know, I don't think a Doug Marone, Tom Coughlin-led Jags would be very interesting either. They're, they're not... That's not really their their whole thing. Yeah, the Del Rio Jags would have been fun. Yeah, potentially. And that was an honest, interesting group. The first Coughlin Jags would have been fun too. There were some good personalities, and the team was really good. I mean, the the Coughlin team with Brunel and Jimmy Smith and Keenan McCardell and Fred Taylor, uh, James yeah. Stewart, all those guys. That I mean, that fun that team was fun as hell. And the '99 team, I still contend, was the best team in the league that year. Yeah, th- this is definitely not the same same group. Um, you don't really have the aside from Jalen Ramsey, uh, you don't really have those personalities. Um, like even like Leonard Fournette, this that who they have this year is not like a huge flashy personality. He's an awesome player to watch on the field, at least at the college level. So, um, but Marone, I, I don't see. I mean, it's not always the team's choice. I don't think any team would like outwardly choose to go on hard knocks. But Marone would, I think, be one of the least uh, amicable to the idea. Yeah, I, I would definitely have to agree there. But yeah, Tampa Bay should be fun. I'm sure Jameis will say something stupid at some point to uh, to have himself in hot water yet again. Yeah, Tampa's a definitely interesting one. You have Jameis who, um, <laughs> you know, for all of his off-the-field stuff, like even when he's not trying to get himself in trouble, can kind of do that, like with that, that speech he gave to that elementary school last year, yeah. which was just really silly. Um, just a dumb, like, especially if you're Jameis, you need to be looking out for stuff like that. Like, unforced errors like that are just not good. Um, but he is, you know, for better or worse, a charismatic figure. Um, and just a lot of interesting young players. And, and I like what they did adding OJ Howard, who, uh, you know, people who, who only tune into the biggest college football games of the year will think is, like, one of the best players in the world. Um, he didn't really have that long-term impact at Alabama, but he showed up in big spots. They didn't really seem to like try to use him that much, but uh, super talented, and, and that he joins a really big, physical, athletic group of receivers in Tampa. So that should be an interesting team to watch, and you don't always get those teams that are projected to do big things uh, on hard knots, which makes it uh, kind of an interesting thing this year. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, last year, obviously, those who watched saw the Rams, and they were terrible, but they had the potential to be maybe a 500 team. They were not. Um, I think you're going to look at Tampa's schedule allowing could be, you know, I think last year they won, what, nine games? I think they could be in that range, nine, ten wins yet again, and that might be enough to get to the playoffs. So, yeah, I think this will be, like you said, one of the rare opportunities to get a glimpse of a, uh, a playoff team in advance. Um, we'll see. I I could see them challenging for that division. This isn't to get like into an NFL talk here, 
but I could definitely see them challenging for that division. Um, given some of the questions around Carolina, uh, obviously in the last two years, Carolina's lost a bunch on the defensive end. Cam's still there, though. Um, you know, drafting um, McCaffrey like we thought they would is obviously a, a big boon for that offense. I think they're going to be able to rebound on that side of the ball. Again, we'll see on the defense. Um, I think New Orleans, this is kind of their last shot, but I don't think that defense has it either. Um, and then Atlanta, we'll see what a Super Bowl hangover looks like. It obviously hasn't done teams favors in recent years. Um, the loser of the Super Bowl in the last probably 10 to 15 years has, uh, has oddly, I think, missed the playoffs like more often than not um, the following season, while um, that used to not be the case at all, um, probably from about beginning of the Super Bowl until about maybe 95 to 2000. And then since then, it's, it's, the trend has gone completely the other way for teams that lose that game. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely an interesting trend. Um, and obviously, they've had some major shakeups on the coaching staff, especially the offensive side, uh, where, you know, you would think they would just be able to retain the principles that they, they gained under Kyle Shanahan, who um, obviously put in some serious work last year as the offensive coordinator, but he's off in San Francisco now. It's for the best. Um, <laughs> for the best for him. For the best um, for everybody, based on what he did in that fourth quarter. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't want to totally... Uh, disregard like the entire season for one bad quarter, but um, and it's you know clearly the defense didn't really do their do their job either, uh, giving up twenty five points, but um, or more than twenty five points, twenty five to tie, um, but you know there there is a chance that uh, I'm not even sure who is stepped in for him. Who's the new OC in Atlanta? Um, Let's find out. Awesome radio. <laughs> Sark. <laughs> I oh, it is Sark. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot about that. So, yeah, huge question mark. <laughs> this is going to be a blast. Man, Atlanta should get hard knocks again. Oh, God. Um, yeah, like, like does Sark, who even knows? He's going to be at the NFL level as an OC. Like, he, he's had mixed uh, reviews as a, as a play caller at the college level. Perfect. So, That's exactly what um, Atlanta needs right now. Right, yeah, you know. So I, I, I remember thinking that was a weird hire as it was um, because it's not like you were going to poach some, like, proven, uh, flawless offensive mind. Like, Sark has done a nice job at the college level at multiple spots, but it's not like he was, um, like, the most obvious guy to make the leap over to the NFL. So, uh, yeah, that'll be an interesting group. Tampa Bay was, was very good last year and just happened to run into an Atlanta buzzsaw. Um, even Carolina, uh, I thought, had a really nice draft and, and really... Um, helped out Cam Newton, getting some solid offensive playmakers. Uh, so I, I don't know if they'll make the jump all the way back to the Super Bowl or anything, but I think that they are a natural um, candidate for some uh, positive uh, regression to the mean. Um, in this case, I guess it would be progression uh, to, you know, being competitive again because their fall-off was so stark. Um, so that should be a really interesting division overall. Oh, and the Saints. To the NFC South Draftcast. <laughs> <laughs> Dan and I said before this podcast we were going to find a way to talk about unrelated shit for, for at least 10 minutes, and we already pulled it off uh, in the initial 10 minutes. For those who haven't tuned out, uh, this is a podcast about Syracuse sports. Uh, so now we will pivot a little bit, Dan, um, into a topic we were discussing earlier. Uh, Earlier in the week, I had a five predictions for the next five years of Syracuse football um, article. 
uh, kind of discussed five things they think could happen uh, between now and 2021. Um, going down that list, um, and then we'll discuss some kind of offshoot conversations. Uh, number one, I said Syracuse will make four bowl games in five years. Um, Dan, do you think that's a possibility? Or, um, I think that's probably on the po- on the optimistic end of things. Uh, I would probably go with three if I'd guess, um, because we don't, you know, I think it's it's not necessarily a lot that Babers will be here in five years. Um, I'm more likely leaving for a bigger job than than getting fired. But uh, and if he is here, there's always a chance that there's that one year where you have um, a lot of turnover, uh, or you have you know one class just doesn't totally pan out, and you end up having a down year. So. I'd say four is definitely possible. Um, I do think it's uh, probably a bit on the optimistic side. Um, but I do think three in the next five years, assuming the team keeps on progressing the way that we hope and, and believe that they will, uh, is is a very attainable goal. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, like, if the team decides to schedule better, then sure, super attainable. Um, you know, I mean, after after this season, they face North Carolina – and then I believe, does the rotation start over with the Coastal? Which means we'd face Duke and like a Duke team that I'm not really sure what they are anymore. We face. I'm not sure because we haven't faced Miami yet. We faced Duke at the Dome that one year. Right. Um, but obviously we haven't gone there yet. Um, That's everything. I'm not sure. Sh- is it because we've had the Georgia Tech nightmare that I want to scrub from my brain at some, some point Tech in my is, life? No, Georgia Tech's first. Okay, so Georgia Tech, then Duke. Georgia Tech was the first one, yeah. Yeah. So if, if, it, if it follows the exact schedule it did the first go-around, it's Georgia Tech, then Duke, and then Yeah, I'm not, I have to look it up. I don't know if that it's doing the same exact rotation. It would make sense that it would. Um, There's no reason why it but, shouldn't, to be honest. But. Yeah, it doesn't make – I mean, football schedules are stupid, but uh, I assume that's how it, how it will work if it were if it goes that way. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, scheduling, I think you had uh, that they would complete their schedule. Um, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to. <laughs> like, Tomorrow. <laughs> well, yeah, but especially when you see other teams that are n- in no better position, like Purdue, which I feel like Purdue schedules a game every couple weeks. Um, I guess well, Purdue probably gets a lot of phone calls. Uh, but, like, Purdue has a game scheduled in, like, 2029, 20, 2030. Um, I would the imagine that... The, was yeah. And not that I want to be scheduling TCU in the next couple of years, but I would imagine that there are some teams that would find it even Syracuse attractive um, and would like to get it on the books. And I, I can imagine that, you know, I would hope that Syracuse would start to, to make some moves so that we're not putting ourselves in holes. Um, obviously, this whole scheduling thing has been kind of a mystery since, oof, I mean, since basically when, when Gross took over. Um, it's never quite jived with how the rest of the country does it in terms of time frame. Uh, I do hope that with Wild Hack in, and as he continues to make his his presence felt at the athletic department, uh, this is one of the things that changes. And and obviously we have our preferences as to who you're playing and and you know what what kind of schedules we get. And I th- hope he's a little more uh, amenable to those. Um, just getting things on the books going forward because of how fast this stuff works out. Uh, is important, I think. Yeah, and I mean, like, I understand the the lack of need to schedule an FCS team, like, several years out, but at the same time, like, other programs do it just fine. I've heard a lot of chatter now about Wild Hack 
saying things about the schedule, about Babers saying things regarding the schedule. So, like, if we've been talking about this for a year now, like, or almost a year since Wildcat came in, like, cool. Now let's get something on the books. Like, I, I would, again, I, I'm not an athletic director. I don't really, I don't know how long these conversations take, but if I had to guess, they don't really take a ton of time to float a date, um, float a financial figure for the series that need them, um, and then go for it. Uh, you know, for me, I think that the, the goal here is winning games, and there's a lot of teams that probably think they can beat Syracuse every year, and there's a lot of teams that Syracuse probably thinks can, they can beat. So, like, if SU, for the, from, from now through 2030, like, SU should probably have called every Conference USA and Sunbelt team already, save the good ones. Um, they should have probably called Kansas, even Rutgers, Purdue, a couple of, I mean, Illinois maybe, a couple others, like I, I would say with, with some frequency uh, to try to get those on the books. I mean, the Wisconsin series was, was one of the most, like, scheduled out things they've done in recent years, and that one, which was decided on, like, two years ago, you know, doesn't make any sense for, for either team. Like, Wisconsin gets nothing out of going to New York. And we get nothing out of going to Wisconsin for the most part, other than a probable loss. Um, the Army series was great. And I'm glad to see that. I wish SU would have just said, you know, we're we're with Army for the next ten years, and just signed on from there. I think that's that's mutually beneficial. Um, I know that I know that the outcome here is not going to be everything all of us want, um, but I hope it's at least some of the things. And I think Wild Hack has indicated that he wants it to be some of those things. Um, but like, like you said, and like I've reiterated in multiple articles over my tenure at, at the site, that the longer we let this sit here and wait, the, the longer we're going to end up getting screwed. Yeah. We want lingering. And, and like you said, you know, ideally we, we aren't scheduling ourselves into holes by going out this far and we're not, you know, oh, hey, we scheduled Alabama in 2032. Great. But, um, I, I, almost be i don't know I, i'd almost be more uh amenable to that than. <laughs> than scheduling alabama in 2019 because it's all we had to we, it's all the only option we had at least like at least give me time to prepare for my funeral rather than like Jeez. hitting me over the head with a shovel from behind um it's a good analogy sure <laughs> i i guess but, but like, um, 2018 like we're already like one of I think we're one of the only teams, if not the only ACC team already, that has an opening left, for, like an FBS opening for 2018. Yeah, and you're just not giving yourselves, you know, you're not putting yourself in a position, to, even this year. Like, Middle Tennessee, not that we should be, that's not the best team to be playing. Like, they're kind of dangerous. <laughs> and now, now they happen to have our former head coach on staff, which I don't know that it means anything, but, like, I'd rather be playing a lower-level MAC team, for sure. So, even, like, the difference between those, like, uh, a, a, a you know bought win versus a you know let's say Middle Tennessee has a, a thirty percent chance of winning that game like that's higher than you'd like. Yeah, and like and I said it when the game was scheduled. Like I'm I'm glad that the schedule was just done, but at the same time, the fact that we scheduled a team that runs a similar style to us and basically nullifies our advantage of speed. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> just 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 why would you do that? Dan and John complained about scheduling for the probably 75th time on this podcast. <laughs> we've been doing this for four years now. There is. Oh, it's probably more than that then. We've done it pretty, we've done it almost every week for four years. So we're probably, who even knows what episode this is at this point. 
Um, yeah, we've I probably done it around 100 times. I'm going to guess, knowing that we probably have about, I'm going to say 48 to 50 episodes a year, we're probably nearing episode 200 with like me in charge, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, this thing, this train just chugs along. <laughs> Tulane, scheduling, beer, the, the three constants of this podcast. Only one of them has to do with Syracuse. <laughs> Well, I would I would contend that see, that beer has a lot to do with Syracuse. It does, and to be honest, so does Tulane. <laughs> we should schedule them every year. Oh, except for apparently this year they're going to be a ton of scrappy. According to I think Bill Conley has Tulane. I don't know if his preview went up today or he was just hinting at it. Uh, I've read if it was. I think up, it but, went uh, up a couple weeks ago, and like I just missed it, and I was going to tweet about it the other day. It was like really, I thought his ace. I think it was I thought he was on the American now. He's on it now, but he's like at the he's on like the back end of the American, like. Okay. Tulane was like one of the first teams he did. Okay, so I, he might have already put it up. But I, I saw a tweet like in the last couple days. I've also been way out of it. I was at a wedding all weekend. I like I, I haven't even like gone through and looked at all the draft results. I watched the first round and then I looked at what the Packers did and I looked for the Syracuse guys, but uh, who didn't get picked, obviously. But like I am very behind on like general sports stuff outside of like the NBA playoff results and stuff because I was I was very off the grid for a couple days and it was it was kind of great. <laughs> Look at you. I uh, I don't know how to do that. It was bad. the first time I've like was away from. I, I probably checked in on Twitter like maybe once a day for five days, and it was it was very refreshing. And uh, today I dove back into work and everything, and I was like, "Ooh, this is a lot." I uh, I can't do that. My wife hates it because I am not. Um, I, I'm not capable of like when I took off when I took off for most of that week earlier this year. Um, when I was in Syracuse in New York, like I still wasn't completely off the grid. Because obviously I was in Syracuse, so I had to be sharing things that I was doing there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to, you know, like fix that. Yeah, that's de- generally not my mo. But I was, I was, you know, I was, I had a wedding things to do the whole weekend, and I was uh, with a bunch of people who didn't really care to talk about, you know, Syracuse sports. And uh, I was on a beautiful island in South Carolina, so I just kind of, uh, kind of just didn't look at Twitter, which was fine. But now I got bummed right back in. I, my, my brain vacation has ended, and uh, here we are. <laughs> Moving on a little bit. Um, okay, we still have three more things on here, and then we can kind of maybe we'll get that to halftime, and then we can talk about the five things we might have thought five years ago. Um, carry dome renovations will have started. If they haven't, we're screwed, in my opinion. Then they have to have started. In fact. Like, they're... they're it would be such a dismal failure for on everyone if the dome renovations are at, not at least like I wouldn't even know, even past started. I think dome renovations should like be we finished. should have a pretty good idea of like when they'll be finished too. Like don't just do the whole thing where you break ground on like a little thing and then it's like well th- this isn't really even part of it. Like dome renovations should be like a, an actual tangible thing that we like kind of have a good idea of the end date for and everything. Yeah, I would agree there. I was just trying to be positive in this article. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> like, actively said so at the beginning. Like, tr- trying, to, trying to put everybody's best interests at heart. Um, Syracuse gets another quarterback drafted. I think this one might be the most likely of all of them. Hmm. It's, uh, it, well, I think there are two ways to look at it. Um, we've only had, I mean, was Nassib the only quarterback drafted since McNabb? Yes. We've only had three right. drafted ever. Okay, so you can look at that and say, 
that makes it seem unlikely, but I would argue that that really doesn't matter at all because the Syracuse program now is entirely different than the Syracuse program even two years ago. Um, this is a whole new animal. Um, that being said, uh, I don't know that, you know, there, there's a, there's a, a penchant for teams to go against quote-unquote system quarterbacks, but a fair amount of those guys, like the Texas Tech guys, the, the guys who are playing these prolific offenses, do get picked at some point. Like, so... I think we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. Um, yes. It wouldn't shock me if Eric Dungey was like a sixth or seventh round pick if he stays healthy for two more years and, and puts up big numbers. It doesn't mean he'll he'll play. Um, Ryan Nassib really hasn't played yet, um, and, and who knows what's going to happen with him. Jaguar. Yeah, he's still a free agent. Yeah, come on. Why come hasn't on, Marone called him yet? You think that I, I would assume they text all the time. Do you think he's um, waiting like for, for like if Nassib gets his contract somewhere else, and then like if he doesn't, then he'll invite him? It's possible. Um, especially with Bortles, I think they didn't. Bortles just sign something uh, again. I've been like way off the grid, and and Jaguars not, updates were not in the front of the mind for me. I, I think Bortles just re upped. He re upped some kind of tender, um, but I don't think it was anything super binding. So like, there's no reason why they couldn't bring in Nassib just to see. Um, the thing though, if you're Jacksonville, wouldn't you just tank? And then knowing next year that like if you if you finally get the first pick in the draft, which you never have, that you'll get Sam Darnold. It's not the worst idea to say they're building a pretty nice team outside of the quarterback. And, and even the quarterback, like, Bortles, the first, his first, his second year, whatever, uh, the year before last, like, he, he didn't look terrible. He just didn't progress at all last year and right. arguably became worse. So, I mean, I think that they're, they're a pretty interesting bunch. They have Fournette now, which I don't know that I love picking the fourth pick or using the fourth pick on, but uh, he's there. Fournette's um, an exception, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think I would have taken him. If I was in like the middle of the first round, I just don't love taking running backs that early, and there's a chance it works out. So like, it's not, it wasn't like an awful pick. I just I thought it was was maybe a tad early. But you know, the year before they got Jalen Ramsey, who is you know aside from Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott, probably uh, I mean he was easily one of the five best rookies in the league last year. Um, throwing like Joey Bosa too, I guess. But he's he's a monster. Um, they have some nice playmakers on offense. Uh, Fournette should give them. I can't imagine Fournette not being at least a good NFL running back. I don't know that he'll be great, but there's a chance he is. And I, I think his floor is probably pretty high if he stays healthy. Yeah. Um, so I don't really know what their line construction looks like, which is important for him. But like the, the pieces are, are being moved into place there. Um, obviously, in the NFL, like you really can't win at a big level without decent quarterback play. Um, but there's a chance that, like, like you said, if they, if they were to just totally go in the tank, and they might not even have to bench Bortles for that. Like, he might just do it on his own. Um, but getting a guy like Darnold or one of the other big quarterbacks to me in the next couple of years, like, that could be a really interesting team. And and that's why I said I, I, I like Moreau taking that job because, like, the Jaguars are, are kind of a joke franchise. Like I said, the Browns, there aren't many that are worse on a consistent basis. But They're the 2009 they are, Syracuse of the NFL. That's not a bad way to look at it. Um <laughs> They just have a lot of very interesting pieces that just aren't totally like glued together yet. Uh, so hopefully Marone is a guy who can who can make this work. I agree. And y'all been watching watching Jags Cast here on uh, Channel Four. We're uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the Jags. We come back from these messages. I'm sure, I've already offended some Clemson fan. Fair. Oh God! <laughs> With that accent. <laughs> I've so many so, so many nasty emails. So many nasty emails are coming. Uh, no, for all those reasons and the fact that uh, 
CJ Beathard is probably going to start an NFL game this year. Um, I feel like it's pretty likely a Syracuse player, a Syracuse quarterback is getting picked sometime in the next five seasons. Not only that, but they like really wanted him. Yeah, like really, like third round wanted him, which is just stunning to me. Uh, there's a lot of quarterbacks that are probably going to see the field this year, which is weird because I feel like the same exact teams that are going to start these guys, save Houston, um, who I think Deshaun Watson's going to win that job before preseason even ends. Um, I feel like most of those teams, so like San Francisco, Cleveland, a couple others, are going to be picking at the top of the draft again next year and are just going to end up picking a quarterback that's going to be infinitely better than the guy they picked this year. It's possible, and that's why I don't mind. I never really mind taking a quarterback like past the third round. Yeah, I think third, past the third round's fine. Before the third round, the guy better be good. Yeah, because in the first three rounds, you have a guy that you either project to be a long-time starter or you think can play right away. Um, fourth round and on, like if you think a guy has a shot of being uh, a shot of being an NFL starter at any real level, like I think that's worth a gamble. So you have a guy like Josh Dobbs, who I am totally not bought in on at all, and I was shocked when he started like climbing the the hype ranks earlier uh, in this draft process. But if you're the Steelers in the fourth round, like why not? What, well, I what, love him like, at that pick. At, at that pick, I, said I love him at that pick. Yeah, because I mean, let's say there's a ten percent chance he turn, and that that could be even high because quarterbacks just are such a crapshoot. But if there's a 10-15% chance of him being your next, uh, your next starter behind, after Roethlisberger, that's a great value. And if you blew a fourth-round pick, like, who cares? Peterman with the Bills, too. Like, that was a great pick. Yeah. It was, like, fifth round. Like, absolutely. Like, absolutely give me Nate Peter- Peterman in the fifth round. Like, I, I don't want him in the first three, like, rounds for, by any means. But, yeah, give me him as a fifth-round pick, and he could potentially start this year, too. Yeah, so I'm all for taking gambles like that. I mean, that that's kind of what NASA was with the Giants. Like, he, who even knows, he didn't really get an opportunity because Eli is you know, probably the most dependable quarterback uh, we have right now. But um, Has never missed a start it, since he got the starting job halfway through his first year. Right. Somehow. So, like, that wasn't the best situation for him, but he was still a gamble, and, and I don't think Giants fans are, like, forsaking that draft pick at this point. He was a really solid backup who... I think, you know, especially in that one preseason where he tore it up, like, people were pretty uh, positive about. Yeah, and now we picked a guy who I'm worried about, but also optimistic about, because he'll have two to three years to actually turn himself into a pro-style quarterback. Right. I'm talking about Davis Webb, for those who did not follow the Giants draft as closely as I did. Uh, yeah, and he was a guy, and it seemed like, like there was a seven or eight quarterbacks that like someone liked for as a potential late first rounder he was one of them Dobbs was one of them so I mean if you can get a guy if you if you like a guy that more and and even for the 49ers like I don't see CJ Beathard being a a great quarterback but but clearly Shanahan does so why not take a shot in in the in the second or third day yeah worst case you're picking in the top five again next year and you'll have your pick of actual quarterbacks who are probably going to be franchise players yeah, and, and best case you get, or medium case, I guess, you get Kirk Cousins, which cool. is something. <laughs> anyway, uh, last thing before we get to halftime. Uh, someone wears 44. I think it happens. Dan, do you? I have no idea. Nobody's mentioned 44 in about like 18 towards... months. That, that's the thing. Is, is Babers is such, like, he's just not... Uh, a Syracuse traditional, I mean, traditionalist in terms of, like, Schaefer had been here. Schaefer obviously decided he was going all in on that as a recruiting tool, which I think we were mostly fine with. Um, 
uh, slash excited about when we had the whole Robert Washington saga. Seems like so long ago. Um, <laughs> uh, I just don't. I it's it's really hard to know. Just because there's been so much overhaul um, in that's five years. Like I, I think it it really depends on on what type of prospect we're recruiting. And uh, I, I'd be interested to ask Babers about that as he gets more ingrained with the program. Like if it seems like Babers is here to stay for a while, maybe that's when he starts to think about those longer term traditions versus like. He's probably still kind of feeling his way out in terms of being the Syracuse head coach now. Like it's not like he knows everything there is to know about being the Syracuse guy. I don't think he gives a shit about the tradition. I think that's fine. I, I think if Babers decides, if, if Babers hits up Floyd and says, "Yo, Floyd, you want to talk to Jim?" and we can pull forty-four out of the mothballs. Like I, I think Babers has been in so many places. I think he's ne- he's never had the time to sit around and like attach himself to these traditions and. And I feel like also most of the places he's been aren't like tradition rich schools. I mean, Arizona, Baylor, us, Bowling Green, like these are not places that are like, you know, gushing with tradition and, and hoopla. Like he's been what a year or two at UCLA and even them, like they don't really have a ton of tradition outside the venue they play in. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's not someone who's overly attached to tradition. I think that might be to our benefit here in some ways. Yeah, I, I think it helps in terms of he's not going to be uh, persuaded by trying to run the program like uh, Ben Schwartzwalder did or, or you know, Coach P did. Um, but uh, I, I do wonder if, you know, with a guy like Wild Hack in charge, who, who obviously is very much rooted in tradition, at least in terms of just being a, you know, before he was here, we all know Wild Hack was like a big Syracuse fan who happened to work at ESPN at a high level. Um, so he obviously knows what's going on. So I, I do wonder if, like, they start to come together. Um, and I don't know that Babers, like, cares or, or, you know, holds them super dear to his heart or anything. But who knows if, you know, he and Wildhack can kind of find a way to mesh these traditions with ways to improve the program. Um, kind of like what, what I think Schaefer was trying to do by, by taking 44 out of the rafters for Washington, who uh, was, you know, obviously a huge recruit at the time. Agreed, agreed. Um, I think that's good for halftime. Um, so, Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, of a, a cocktail weekend down in uh, South Carolina. I did have uh, some Westbrook while I was there, as I, as I yeah. am wont to do. Um, a lot of white tie, some Doza. Um, we also we flew in and out of Savannah, Georgia, where I'd never been. We went to one of the local breweries there, which was kind of near like their their River Street, which is like their historic district. Um, it was uh, Moon something, uh, Moon City, I think. Moon City. Brew, it was a brew pub, um, which was like right in the heart of like all the very touristy stuff. So I was a little questionable about going in. Um, I only had one beer there because we were short on time. Uh, it was their Yoga Pants American Pale Ale. It was really delicious, honestly. It was a uh, quite good uh, over. Uh, was was better than my expectations, um, and everyone else, like a couple other people at high PAs, everyone seemed to, to enjoy them. So that was good. Um, but yeah, a lot of the other just normal South Carolina beers I have when I'm down that way. Uh, a lot of Westbrook, which seems to really be exploding down there, which is fun. And I'll be back down in the North Carolinas next weekend. So more of that. Um, hopefully some foothills. I'll be up at my brother's graduation in Winston Salem. Um, so that should be fun since brewery scene down there is pretty legit. As we all talk about pretty often. Yeah. I actually, uh, my parents thankfully grabbed me bottles of uh, 
sexual chocolate and uh, barrel-aid sexual chocolate that I now have in the fridge. I have not opened them yet. They are there. Great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to trying those later this summer. Um, some things I had. I had White Noise, a wit beer from St. Arnold uh, down in the Houston area. Had a No Name IPA from Artifacts Orange County Brewery. Had a Am I Right or Amarillo? It was a pale ale from Bell's. Had a King Harbor, which is over here, and I mentioned them a bunch. Uh, their Coconut IPA. Had Beechwood. I talk about them all the time. They had their Citraholic, but then they had a Super Citrus. Uh, There's more hops, just very, very citrus loaded. Uh, really fantastic beer. Um, had an Orderville from Modern Times. Um, Orderville used to be a West Coast style IPA, then last year they turned it into an East Coast style IPA. I am very sad for the tradition that everyone is leaving behind for some reason around here, uh, and that is making East Coast IPAs in the West Coast instead of the very good West Coast IPAs that we've made for many, many years. Um, one very good West Coast IPA I've had a bunch lately is Tap Into the Power from Hop Saint, um, which is about a mile from me here in Redondo Beach. Uh, very cool spot. Uh, they make good food. My wife doesn't like the food as much, but I do, so we definitely try to head over there every once in a while. Um, and then I went to my first Dodgers game of the year and grabbed Budweiser because it's the only beer there under $12, which is delightful because, yeah, who who doesn't want to pay $17 for, for a blonde ale from Golden Road? <laughs> Ooh, with a pilsner. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> Which I've heard is now the trendy craft beer. I That's fine. <laughs> you know what, though? What I... People are making, like, really good... Like, I feel like um, Threes make some really good pills. Um, and there's a bunch of other spots that I feel like they're making... They're making, like, just crisper, better pilsners and, like, doing a nice job of it. I don't know. I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I have no problem with drinking pilsners. I feel like generally, for me at least, the, the they're just they're less complex and there's less like things they can do to give them interesting flavors and interesting uh, dynamics uh, versus like an IPA or just even a regular pale ale um, or a sour or some of the other more trendy types recently. But if you will, you know, start to change with the pilsner game, I mean, I'm all in. Like I will, I will drink whatever whatever super good pilsner everyone starts talking about. So. Uh, I, I'm fully, I'm ready to be wowed by, by the onslaught of Pilsners that I guess we're going to see soon. See, I almost think like that's the, that's the mark of like a really good brewer is like, if you can do something, like if you can make a Pilsner really stand out, I feel like I have a lot of respect for you. Yeah, for sure. So that's one thing. Um, I'll like I, it's almost, I get like where people are kind of tired of like the whole, like just soup up an IPA and make it as, as hoppy and. And just like throw as you know, three different hop varietals in there, and I, I get why people would be tired of that. But uh, yeah, if you can find some way to make a pilsner stand out, I, I totally agree. Like, go for it, and, and I will applaud you if it goes well. Same here. Uh, I will have plenty. Speaking of beer, to discuss next week, I'm going to the brewery ninth anniversary festival on Saturday down in Orange County. It seems like all of the local players and some non-local folks brought their A game. Um, some that you might enjoy, Dan. Um, they have a uh, what's basically being described as an "I'm enjoy Black Tuesday." They have um, what else did I see? There's a cookies and cream Black Tuesday. There's a bunch of other stuff that's really going to be awesome. So I'm glad that uh, we're looking at like 70 degrees, partial clouds. I don't have to deal with like just oppressive heat while I'm drinking these 15% and higher beers for four hours. Speaking of 
of breweries, a uh, good friend of mine and occasional listener of the, to the pod, uh, just got a job running the tap room up at Wolf Hollow Brewing in the capital region up near like Schenectady. So Ooh. shout out to them. I have not had any of their any of their beer, but uh, I assume it is all wonderful. I would too. Hopefully they can send some down. Yeah, send some down, and we'll we'll talk about it on the show. Uh, I'll see if I can make that happen. <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay. So before we talked about five things that could happen in the future, um, now I want to talk about maybe five things that we thought would happen five years ago and see if they have now. Now, we didn't write this article five years ago, so this is going to be a little challenging, but... Um, Dan, I guess, what is one thing off the top of your head that you probably expected of of this program uh, in 2012, like before the 2012 season started? So we're going right before Marone's final season. Correct. When, like, things Ooh. were a little shaky because it was, like, a five and seven year, but we had a lot of seniors. Um, that's a super interesting one. I think we all had pretty... I think we were all pretty cautiously optimistic because of the seniors, because we kind of showed that we had a high ceiling from the year before, and, and we, you know, obviously we had the really disappointing finish, but there was also a lot of, like, you know, it may, Merlin probably wasn't on the hot seat, hot seat, but there were, like, some serious questions about whether he was the guy long-term. Right. Um, obviously losing, uh, what, sits in a row in the year, put uh, some really bad tastes in people's mouths, and rightfully so. Um... So yeah, that's a, that was definitely an interesting spot because like you you fast forward four months and everything's hunky dory and then Moreau leaves and it's you know everything's up in the air. But before that season, um, it was definitely a, a pretty tenuous situation. It wasn't like a I wouldn't say he was on the hot seat or anything, but there were some serious questions over the direction of the program. Yeah, I see. I thought he was going to work out to a point, and I thought that him and Gross were close enough, and that Gross was bad enough at his job. That like he wouldn't have been able to find somebody better anyway, so I, I had a f- I thought then that Marone was probably there for the long haul, and I thought if we make if we win seven eight games this year, I felt that like that Marone would just be there, they'd be the guy because I think a lot of us you know we bought into the dream job stuff, we also just bought into the fact that he was an alum who wanted to come back and ter- return the program to greatness. I guess what we didn't factor in was he only wanted to return the program to greatness. He didn't really have any interest in keeping them there. Uh, yeah, and it also would have been interesting if, if he had a more um, standard, or if he had only won like seven and six or something. Like, I think the fact that he turned that team around so well and they ended on such a hot streak, that made him a more attractive candidate. Where if they had just had, you know, let's say they had gone six and six and won a, a low level bowl game. So, like, um, if, if the 2013 season had happened in 2013. Yeah, um, if you flop those two, like, then you have switched. Then he probably would have left after the following season, uh, assuming um, the Bills aren't the only team that was intru- interested in him. But um, it definitely raises some interesting questions. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think the the Doug Marone "What if" like rabbit hole is a whole other thing that you could probably do an entire podcast about. Um, I'd say five years ago, I thought that something was going to be done about the dome or the stadium situation by now. Um, which again, that kind of worries me about the uh, the five years into the future thing about the dome. Like, I feel like five years ago we were we were pretty certain something was going to happen. It's just weird um, that something hasn't. I think I don't think we were expecting to be back at kind of square one. I mean, we're not now, but like last year we were. 
I don't think we expected to be back at the bottom where we were before Marone arrived already. I think we at least thought we'd be able to maintain some sort of every other year bowl situation by now, which uh, obviously hasn't happened yet. It's um, the, the dome. The dome situation. It, it feels like the dome has been like on the block since I got to Syracuse. So that's one of the things that makes me like a little worried about that 2024 mark. I still think uh, that we we're going to get there just because it seems like there are more um, solid things being put in place. But even since like I feel like it's been what? How many years has it been since the like the plans leak? Two. And it doesn't seem like we've made a lot of progression there uh, since then. Uh, if, if at, you know, you can argue if it, we've actually had like some negative progression, some negative progression. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's just one of the, the dome is just such a complex issue, and I, I get why it's it's tricky because it's expensive. Obviously, it's a private school. Um, there are debates whether or not you should get or want public money for it, um, and then there's just like the question of just where do you put it. And, like, there are pros, huge pros and cons to where the Dome is now. There are huge pros and cons to, like, the three or four other sites that are always mentioned. So I get why it's, why it's uh, like, such a, a tough issue to sort out. But it's not like those, those variables are changing, really. Like, they're, they're kind of just the variables that they're going to be until you, unless you have some drastic, you know, other things swoop in. Um, but, like, I don't know. I, I am surprised that we haven't had a little more progression on it, and I feel like when I got to Syracuse, we have we were having largely the same conversations. With maybe, you know, we've seen fewer we've seen fewer renderings of stuff at that point, but renderings haven't seemed to materialize into more. Yeah, and honestly, at this point, like, I think we were maybe naive about how much or little money um, Syracuse had on hand at the time. I think now we are a little more flush with cash. There's also more demands on our resources, but. Um, SU does have a little more money to play with um, now, so I think that, yeah, I, I think there's there's no excuse at this point five years from now. Um, there's arguably a, little, a few more excuses from five years ago than we might have realized at the time. Uh, it, it, it also doesn't help that you've had you know multiple changes at the top of the athletic department, so it's not like. It's not like John Wildhat's been here and just hasn't gotten off of like, you know, wherever he's been. Or we've hit, we, and we also had a, a chance, change of chancellor. So um, all those things kind of cause like stop and starts. Right. So uh, not to excuse them because like for all, for a long time it was Gross and Cantor and they were here for a decade. So uh, I think more, campus, but not enough with the athletic department. Right. So. I think that the the current administration, uh, and I, I do assume Wildhack. Like, I don't think Wildhack would have left ESPN to go make Syracuse a stepping stone AD job. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Even when you see what happened with like Marone, like Marone, the, the the step forward from Syracuse is an NFL job, and he took it. Like, there isn't really a step forward from Wildhack unless he just wants to go back to ESPN, which, uh, in light of recent events, I don't think is a thing. So. Um, and he probably would have been one of the heir apparents to Skipper if he had just stayed. So uh, clearly, he wants to run the Syracuse athletic department. So he should be he should be here for a while if he does a decent job. So hopefully, I think they deserve uh, he and Siverud deserve a little more uh, leniency with this. But I, I can I get the frustration and I share in it because it does seem like we're just treading water with the dome stuff. 
Yeah, and I believe, who was it in that Carlson article today? Was it Evan Foster who was talking about the, the locker room? I, think I, I didn't read it, but the locker room is, um, at least last time I was there, and I don't think they've renovated them, uh, the locker rooms are bad. Like, they are really, the dome locker rooms, I, I assume the football practice facility ones are nice, the dome locker rooms are rough. Um, they are not what you expect a D1, an FBS Power 5 football program to have on their, in their on-campus stadium. And everyone saw um, them right on television last year when yeah. Baber's speech was going. They're, they're, they're embarrassing. To be honest, I've been in them. I remember being shocked because uh, my high school, which was a public high school in Connecticut, not exactly uh, Texas, um, had nicer lockers than Syracuse. Um, and, you know, they were wooden and personal, customized and personalized for seniors. And they, you know, they weren't probably the best uh, high school football locker rooms in the state of Connecticut either. So um, that is definitely a thing that you can do for you know, it'll cost some money, but not that much money in the grand scheme of things. And that's like a direct thing you can do to help recruiting. Like you bring you bring your recruits in there. And if I'm Babers, like I want to avoid bringing my recruits in the dome locker room. And then if you do that, like you have to answer the awkward question of, hey, why don't we get to see the lockers? Like it's right. it's not a good situation. I would agree. And yeah, the fact that uh, that Evan Foster was willing to talk about it, uh, seemingly almost unprompted. Uh, <laughs> with Chris Carlson probably is all you need to know about that issue and something that hopefully is addressed soon. I think uh, Carlson had a lot of good stuff in that article. Um, one thing was the fact that Wild Hack seems to be, he's not moving heaven and earth necessarily, but he is ready to do whatever Babers expresses as like something that needs to get done. I mean, you look at the, the personnel changes, uh, additional coaching hires. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do um, when I believe it's next year in January, or is it after signing day, that the 10th staff position is added? Uh, I'm not sure on the timing, but um, it is that, I mean, I think that when you compare like what Syracuse has staff wise to like, I mean, it's stupid to compare anyone to Alabama because they're like hilarious with how many people they add to their staff, but um, it will be interesting to see what the, I, I know most people thought it would just be like uh, another it would be mostly used to promote someone from within for most staffs, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if a school like Syracuse, which could use like some extra advantages here and there, will try to do something more with it. I hope they do, to be honest. Because you look at, I mean, it's not to put down anybody on the staff right now. I just don't see anyone who's like ready to jump in, who's on, who's like is in a quality control role or a grad assistant role. Like, I don't see anybody that. That like has the the experience necessarily to just jump in, right? And uh, from what we know, like it's you know you've right. only know so much about the sports staff because they're not, you know, you can't just say, oh, the defensive quality control specialist is why the defensive ends are struggling. Like that doesn't make any sense. But um, there's no one that just jumps out at you as someone who like is an obvious name or whatever. I would have said if Lustig hadn't gotten hired that this would have been a perfect opportunity to bring back uh, Steve Gregory. Yes, I know he's one of your uh, one of your favorites of well, recent years. If we also had some progression while he was here. So. Exactly. <laughs> like that's the thing. Like Gregory, I talked about Gregory when he first came in because he had the opportunity to change things, and he actually did. Um, Lustig has the chance to change things too, um, so I'm very much looking forward to seeing what he does. It seems like he's more special teams focused and running backs focused, so I just hope that running backs. The running backs can't take more of a step back from last year. 
Um, so I would think that potentially um, whoever comes in as that 10th guy ends up being a running back, running back specific coach. Um, and that Lustig then moves directly into just the special teams kind of area. Yeah, and it helps that Babers is running back. I mean, he his, yeah. he's a running back guy. So um, hopefully that'll help pick up the slack in the mean in the meantime. Yeah, I mean, Babers is so secretive. I'd be very curious to see like kind of how he runs his program. I feel like Bayheim has always been very open and honest about how he runs his program. I feel like. Schaefer was pretty realistic about how he ran his program, and, and, and a lot of other SU football coaches have been. Babers, I feel like we probably know the least about him. Through one year and change, than we have any other recent coach. That's not a bad thing. Just pointing out, like, we don't really know a ton about, like, what the day-to-day practice stuff is and, and, and how much time he spends with different position groups, stuff like that, versus the assistants. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of it's because Marone, like, while Marone eventually locked down pretty tight, he, there was a good like, year year or two like where I was doing spring practice every day, and I got to watch a lot. Like There was like a year and a half where Marone was pretty open while he was still trying to win people over, and then he locked down shop. Um, and then Schaefer had been on campus for so many years that you kind of knew what he was all about. Um, and his personality and whatnot, mostly from watching Marone practices, where Schaefer was among the more fun people to focus on because he was so energetic and so hands-on. Um, where Babers, like, he's just been kind of closed down shop from day one. Um, obviously, those of us who write about the team or write about teams in general would rather have more openness, but, you know, I don't necessarily blame him for it. It's not like he's the only football coach that, that, that's that way. So, Especially on um, the red end of the spectrum. Yeah, especially coming from the tree he comes from um, on a, a straight football level, uh, not to bring up other stuff obviously um but on the like just pure football they are very much not about like opening up about their their trade secrets so um he's definitely one of the more mysterious guys that's why i was surprised you know a month or two ago when richard johnson wrote that piece how much he was able to get like that was uh one of the more lightning things we've gotten from from babers and it was surprising to see him give that to anyone you know obviously richard's more of a national guy but either way like it wouldn't, if it was Carlson or, or Bailey, same thing. Like, I was surprised that he was that revealing about. Uh, and he still, like, it wasn't like we found out a ton of the, uh, of the day-to-day ops. Yeah. Like, we, st- we didn't get the map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. All, no. All, all, we got was, all we got was a little bit more honesty about a few little things here and there. Um, we actually got the real story on the Dino thing that, like, was completely different from the original Dino story. And either way, it's fine. I'm just pointing out the, the, the weird kind of divergence and origin stories we've gotten now. <laughs> Alas. I do like that we have a coach with an origin story. We do. And that, that makes him a superhero <laughs> in, in, in more ways than one. Um, yeah, I, I did think it was strange. Like, I'm, I'm not even I'm not complaining about it at all. I know you're not either. Um, it was interesting to see like how little he's given everybody else until that interview. Like of all the interviews, like I mean, obviously like we're part of SB Nation, but like to give SB Nation and like Richard's a younger guy, like to give him all that info was interesting. Versus like again, a lot of the other like he he talks to Hale on a regular basis. Like he talks to a lot of other guys who've been around a little bit longer. Like that's probably a testament to how good Richard is as an interviewer. Yeah, because it wasn't like a guy who he had. 
like Hale wouldn't have been surprising. And obviously Carlson or Bailey are one of those guys. Um, obviously some, some coaches like Beheim is, is uh, one of these guys who tends to uh, give a little more to the national people um, for better or worse. But like if he had done a David Hale with that same piece or that, you know, same level of uh, openness, it wouldn't have been a surprising where Richard, like, I don't think he had had much contact with Syracuse at all before that. So um, definitely an interesting one. Obviously we, we talked about that a lot when it came out, but uh yeah, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how how much more open we get from Babers, and a lot of that'll have to do with success. Like if he, um, you know, has a great season, maybe he he's willing to shed a little more light. Obviously, I don't think it'll be on on whatever the Nets' moves are strategically, but just in terms of how he runs things. Um, but I, I mean, I think we all appreciate when we get a little more personality from our coaches, and he seems to have a very good one, um, even if he is more buttoned down uh, than. You know, some other guys, although comfortable coaches across the board are just so, so tight-lipped and so unwilling to, to give themselves, um, for the most part, that it's hard to really blame him or be surprised by it or anything. Well, that's the thing with college coaches, too, is that then you get, like, if you are super open, then you're labeled like a weirdo. Like, you look at, you look at, like, Pirate Leech, um, I'd say, like, Jim Levitt until the stuff happened with the potential abuse. Um, I'd say, like, you know, less... A couple others, like yeah, you just kind of like labeled a weirdo if you're like super open. Who are the who are the weirdo college football coaches? So we like run them down. Just Leach is obviously like one. Leach is Leach is one and two. Harbaugh is definitely Harbaugh is a different type of weirdo though. Harbaugh is like a homicidal lunatic. He's not like Leach, where Leach is just like this like wacky guy who just happens to be a college football coach. Like Harbaugh, Harbaugh is it also Harbaugh's seems all very strategic. Oh, it like is. it's very very painted, and I like I appreciate a lot of it, but it. it you could kind of tell where where he's looking. Like Leach, I don't think Leach is, Leach going on a, a rant about like pirates in Tunisia is really offering any kind of strategic uh, any help for Washington State football. Where Harbaugh Harbaugh is just weird, but like everything he does, you can kind of see where he's angling to help thing. Michigan. Yeah. Yes, it's and so well, it's a well done one no, because it, it comes off as authentic, and it might be authentic, but it is everything has a purpose. Yeah. Um, I think, other I think Gundy is kind of a weirdo. Gundy is a weirdo, but he's like, but he's another. He's like a football weirdo. Yeah, like he, he's he's a football weirdo. I'd say, uh, who was I thinking of? Um, what's his name? Oh, Sonny Dykes. Seems like he's a little bit. He might be another football weirdo, but he's like, I feel like Texas like Texas football weirdo is like its own like category here. Texas football is always its own thing. Um, yeah. Ooh. Uh, uh, Holgerson. Oh yeah, I was gonna say Holgo is, is definitely, but he's another. He's like a he, he's he is like a Red Bull fueled machine, rather than just a weirdo. He's just like a he's just a strange guy. <laughs> yeah. Um. Narduzzi seems like a seems like a really weird guy based on that goddamn Kiwi story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's such a football person. Like he's he such is. a football guy. He is. Um. I'm trying to think, I'm, like, like, I, I'm racking my mind for, like, all the guys out here. Because there's got to be... Oh, Mike Riley is a weirdo just because he doesn't fit in with football coaches. Like, no. he's, like, the least football coachy football coach. I buy that. And it's kind of weird that he's at Nebraska now, where it's that's such a, like, that's such a middle-of-the-country, like, literally and figuratively, like, um, grass-fed football program, and he is still such the uh, West Coast guy. See, I don't, 
I don't buy I don't buy Kingsbury as as a football coach guy. No, he seems very especially like he seems very laid back. He's saving up for um, his for his career in broadcasting. That's possible. He needs to be like a little more successful for it to be like super lucrative, but he'll probably get it either way. Like, I mean, if you, if you look like Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, things just kind of come to you, Dan. It's true. <laughs> you can just you can just kind of fall into whatever you want. Uh, let's see. Like other like what I'm trying to think West Coast in particular. Not a lot. Like to be honest, like there's been enough turnover over here. And I feel like they actually, like, put a bunch of... I mean, that's why the Pac-12 is so good now, is they actually, like, implemented, like, all these football-centric guys other than Leach. Yeah, it's... Uh, there's just different levels to them. Um, obviously, like, Carroll was his own thing. Uh, Clay Helton is, like, Carroll very light. Like, yeah, I mean, where, like, Ka- Carroll's in this category, though. Carroll, like, like that's the thing. It's like, Carroll less... Like, these are guys that we're looking for, and there just aren't a ton of them anymore. Yeah, it, people seem very, I don't know, the whole, like, football, football coaches are so much like their own thing that it's, it's, it's tough, like, it, I, I almost get why you wouldn't want to be branded, um, like, uh, different than that, which is, which is why Harbaugh can, you know, while it's so, it's so, uh, like, you could almost even argue it's forced, like, I appreciate that someone is trying to act differently, especially when, like, Harbaugh is still, like, the most football-focused person in the world. Oh. But he allows himself to get be a little different. Um, just, I think, just to differentiate himself from like the the mass of other Big Ten coaches out there. Maybe like Ordron, maybe would 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 be like a fringe guy in this category of like like you're a weirdo, but you're more just like a Bayou guy. He's a Bayou guy. He's like kind of happy to be there. Um, yeah. He definitely has his own personality. Houston, um, that's a weirdo, but he's another guy who's like not currently. He also hasn't had a job in. Yeah. He hasn't had a job in like eight years. <laughs> PJ's a weirdo, but like in a Holga way. Yes. Like you're just and also by he's, Red Bull. Yeah, and also he's like everything's very like focused. Like, right. like he's he a reason for everything. Plan. Like Leech is Leech is just so special because Leech is there's no one like Leech. Right. There are other guys who have like slight tendencies. Leech is the only coach like Leach out there. Like, Leach is closer to Bill Walton than anyone else that we have in, in sports. I, I, I buy that. Yeah, I think that... And that's I, why he needs to be preserved and needs to keep a job forever. Um, unless he actually starts, like, locking players in sheds, and then maybe not. But for now, he needs to keep that job forever. To be honest, if he goes 6-6 six and six in perpetuity in at Wazoo, I feel like he just stays there. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Wazoo, you... you you cannot gamble on you guys getting better than that. Like, you sits and six, average with the occasional... I mean, he's had, what, back-to-back nine-win years? Like, that's yeah. great. That's <laughs> that has awesome. bought him a lot. And he he's, like, one of the only guys who, like, maybe he takes a bigger job if someone comes knocking, but it doesn't seem like people are, ba- uh, you know, banging down the door to get Mike Leach. And he he's seems like a guy that... In his late 50s, at least, if not in his 60s at this point. He's older, he has a little bit of baggage, and, like, he also seems like a guy who, like, if the if the best he's going to do running out the stretch here is just hanging out in Pullman, like, he seems like he'd probably be kind of happy with that. Like, maybe if, if someone came calling, he would go, but it, it, it would probably have to be the right situation, and I don't think he's, like, desperate to leave Wazoo, because Wazoo's given him a lot of freedom. I'd agree with that. Um, you know, he's also been an interesting guy, what's his name? Tony Sanchez? 
over at uh, yeah he's he's very he's very intriguing at UNLV and he's a guy who's going to just see his star rise at some point just because of like the amount of money that's probably headed UNLV's way they are an interesting program. I don't buy that they're going to be like a Pac-12 expansion contender no. anytime soon. Academics aren't. But I think just having a – if you can build a solid uh, group of five team in Vegas, um, you have a, a, there's a very nice niche market there. Um, and Tony Sanchez was obviously a, an inspired out-of-the-box hire. He was right from the high school ranks, right? He was yeah. the Bishop Gorman head coach, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, that's like that's that's a very pragmatic um, go for broke hire. It seems to be working because they took pretty big leaps in terms of like uh, competitiveness from year one to year two with him. Um, obviously, they're not like competing with Boise State yet, but they were a lot better in year two. Um, he has built-in connections at the biggest, the only really big football factory in that state. Um, so they're they're, uh, they're an interesting program for sure. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing the uh, the battle there over the next probably five years between San Diego State and them, as those two programs kind of fight it out for this, you know, like the non-Pac-12 Southwest kids. Um, and meanwhile, I actually think the Mountain West Mountain Division is one of the best in, in the group of five for sure, and probably one of the best six or seven divisions in, in college football right now. Yeah, and they're in a decent spot because, like, if the Pac-12 expands, like odds are, they're not going to be gunning for like, oh, let's just grab the two best Mountain West teams. Like, right. they're going to go for Texas. They're going to go for they're going to go for a Big Twelve, um, unless someone makes a huge move somewhere or like something weird happens, like BYU, which it seems more like it doesn't seem like that's all that likely. That's so, the Mountain West uh, is in pretty good shape as far as the the um, group of five goes, because there isn't a lot of room, like unless the Big Twelve. It spans, and even so, like uh, the Big Twelve is not going to be dying to add Mountain West teams. Like they're in a very nice like homeostasis between being so good that you're going to lose teams. Like the you know the AAC had, I guess the Big East really had the AAC hasn't had like that problem. But they're they're way too good to like worry. I, I don't think the AAC is going to approach them. I don't know why you'd leave the Mountain West with the AAC. So know why North Dakota State should probably just join the Mountain West. That'd be fun. That would be fun. North Dakota State, Little Gonzaga. That'd be interesting. Make this happen, guys. Anyway. Gonzaga would be tough because of where they are. Because there's just aren't recruits there. Yeah. But I guess there aren't in North Dakota State either. They just make it work. They have to do. Um, Alright. I think this non-con... This, uh, you know... This conversation's probably gone on long enough. <laughs> as fun as it is, Dan. Um, so, that was Dan. I'm John. Dan, thank you as always for joining. Much appreciated. Uh, of course, of course. Thank you for listening, everyone. Of course, the five of you that are still here. Uh, <laughs> you've been listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk. Uh, there are still SU teams playing sports, so for the time being, go Orange. Go Orange. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. 
Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com.